Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that very, very much. The way I usually phrase it is that money should never be the purpose of any organization. It's the measure of how well you fulfill your purpose. And I think that's very important to have that purpose focused on value. So as we look at the future, how do you get someone to transformational looking at things differently? I think that's the primary challenge that CX officers face is becoming leaders in an organization rather than reporters. The key is you don't just get to happiness. And I'll agree with Joe. It's not necessarily the goal. The goal may be that customers want to feel valued and that drives the most ROI. We have some good news and we have some bad news. The good news is, it's just me this week. The bad news is, Ryan's back next week. I know you're going to be disappointed next week, but we all have to put up with Ryan, don't we? No, I'm only joking. Well, I'm not joking that he's not here this week. He definitely is not here this week. But the reason that he's not here is I wanted to position an event that I recently did. I've got the recording of a really interesting discussion that I had with a guy called Joe Pine and a guy called Lou Carbone. Now, uh, if you don't know Joe Pine, you should. Joe wrote the original book called The Experience Economy that really kicked off, in my view, the whole thoughts around customer experience and, and why experiences are key. Lou Carbone as well. Again, if you don't know him, you should. Lou's been working in this field for ages. Again, an absolute pioneer and a legend in the field. And myself, I wouldn't call me a legend. Maybe I'm a legend in my own lunchtime. I don't know. But anyway, the three of us were pioneers in the whole area of experiences and customer experience. And we were talking about customer experience before literally everybody knew about it. I remember back in the day, I used to say customer experience and everybody would go, what are you talking about? But anyway, the three of us have also, because we've been in this field for so long and because we have literally shared a stage on many occasions together, We get on extremely well. Uh, We always like having a conversation about where we think what the answer to life, the universe, and everything is. A year ago, we did an event where we, the three of us got together and kicked around where we thought the sort of state of things were. And we decided to do that again this year. And that's what you're going to be hearing. The title of the event was, Is Customer Experience Dying? Uh, We did this on LinkedIn Live. You'll hear us reporting or reading from comments that people made and answering questions. And it was really interesting. So I thought it was really going to be really good to share this with you. The other thing I think is worth saying is that last week we did another podcast with a guy called Alex Mead. Alex has had some interesting views on custom experience and has got some strong views. And as I said last week, uh, the good news about what Alex doing is doing is, is he's mixing it up. And I like that because... It goes back to that phrase of none of us are as clever as all of us. And if we all sit around and we all just agree with each other, then all it becomes is an echo chamber. And actually having some disagreements some different views is important. And again, that's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear some different views, which again, I think is important. Last thing to say, Lou had some problems with uh, some of the technology. Basically, please excuse some of the bits that may sound a little uncoordinated. We've tried to clean it up, so hopefully it won't distract you too much. Anyway, without uh, further ado, on with the show. For those that don't know me, my name's uh, Colin Shaw. I'm um, the founder of Beyond Philosophy. Been doing CX for a number of years. Over the years, I've met up with uh, Joe and with Lou, and um, we've had many discussions about customer experience and we were talking about this the other day and talking a bit about is CX dying? Joe, I don't know if you just want to introduce yourself and then I'll carry on. Sure, sure. So yeah, I'm Joe Pine, uh, co-author of The Experience Economy. 
So a longtime proponent of uh, experiences in business and a uh, big fan of Colin and of Lou. Lou and I, I have, in fact, known each other for, oh my goodness, 20, at least 27 years. You're showing <laughs> your age now, mate. I know. Well, I worked at the IBM Advanced Business Institute and, <laughs> and left there. And, and Lou, Lou um, worked with uh, our good friend, Steve Hackle, for a number of, uh, of years as well. And that's where I first heard him talk about experience engineering. Good. So is CX dying? Let me, I, I'm going to give you my view and then I'm going to pass over to Joe. Hopefully we're going to get Lou's view. Uh, and then we're going to have a bit of a debate just as uh, um, and pick things up as, as we say things and hopefully get some responses to your questions. The simple answer for me is yes. <laughs> uh, but let, let me explain the reason uh, and let me sort of explain the background because I'm not sure if I necessarily agree with the word dying. I actually think, and I think we're going to hear this from Joe, and this is one of the things that makes this interesting for me, is I think there's a difference between the marketplaces that Joe and I work in. You know, you've got the sort of the experiential, the real experiential stuff that I, I would sort of call it, which is really about sort of the immersiveness, the shows and all those things I think is still uh, still going and it's got a long way to go. When we talk customer experience, to be totally honest with you, it's like a lower order. And what I mean by that is, we're dealing with, well, how does the contact center, what's the contact center experience is like? And how does that be form part of a wider experience? And how does a utility go? What's the experience of cleaning or unblocking a toilet? It's not sort of as glamorous and hopefully not as immersive as uh, the stuff that... that, that Although that, I know some toilet experiences, but, but go ahead. <laughs> you just don't want to go there. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's that sort of difference, and it's going to be sort of a bit interesting to explore with this. But why do I think CX, CX and now I'm talking about sort of the, the customer experience that everyone's been doing, it is dying? I think a few reasons. One is... It seems a simple concept and everybody goes, yeah, okay, so, you know, I know what a customer experience is and therefore I don't need anybody to come and tell me, yeah? Second thing is there's this whole mentality for me that people think about what I would call a silver bullet mentality, which is if I fix this one thing, then the whole world's going to be great. <laughs> uh, and I think the software companies with big marketing budgets have effectively come in and gone, yeah, and buy this software from us, and that will fix those little things. The third thing I think is that a lot of organizations have just unfortunately got on a bandwagon, and they've joined this bandwagon, and, and they don't really know what they're looking for. And what they're doing is they're not really focusing on the things that drive value, and therefore, there's no ROI in their customer experience. And therefore, when the CEO, particularly at the beginning of the pandemic, turns around and says, I've invested all this money in this experience, how much revenue are we going to get? Or how much revenue have we, we got? People go, well, well, I'm not really sure. Or, we, we haven't got any. Or, and then he or she turns around and says, well, what's the point of us doing this thing? Let's not, let's not bother. It's not been worthwhile. For me, the overall is it's not it is not dying, but I think it's being absorbed into other things, and we can talk about the other things in a moment. But I definitely think if there was a bell curve when I started, we're certainly on the way down of that that bell curve. Okay, Joe, what's your thoughts, mate? Well, it, it sparks so many thoughts. I'm not, not even sure where to begin, but uh, you know, I mentioned that um, somebody sent me last week. The video of Steve Jobs in 1994 on stage, yeah, and where he used customer experience, and I have I've heard of it, but I don't recall ever seeing it before. Yeah, and uh, and it, it, you know he was he was on there and he got asked this really I, I not just a tough sort of an attacking question from the audience. Yeah, right? he, he, you know, you see it right, and he, and he was thinking a lot about it. And then he starts to talk, and, and, and the basic, the bottom line he said was that you need to not start with the technology. You need to start with the customer experience and then work your way back to how you fulfill what, what customers need. And I think that original use of the term, I, don't, I mean, I, it may have been used before, 
that use of the term anyway is a is a valid one and, and works. And it, and it actually it was early 1994 where I discovered or late 93 discovered the experience economy, where basically the, the main message is that experiences are a, a distinct economic offering, right? As distinct from services as services are from goods. But that is different than what is CX. So like and you, you alluded to this, Colin, is that, yes, the, the experience economy is continuing to grow. And, and obviously, you know, the physical part of the experience economy got shut down during the pandemic. But it's uh, definitely, you know, still on that trajectory. You got all this pent up demand. You open up experiences and let people take their masks off and boom, right? Everything is filled to capacity and practically. But the CX has, has sort of diverged from that, right? That I think they were the same, but they, they've diverged where uh, CX is more, it's about contact centers, it's about measurement, and it's really about, you know, the phrase I always use is nice, easy, convenient, right? Or frictionless. Frictionless is the sort of the new buzzword for CX. And frictionless, frictionless is great if you are selling services, right? If, that's, if it's about services, because that's what you want, services. You want them to be frictionless. You want them to to be nice and easy and convenient. You want them to take no time. But true distinctive experiences are about time well spent, that people value the time that, that they're in there. The more they diverge, the worse that's going to be for CX. So it sort of gets shunted off because all they're doing is basically helping the company do the things it already should have been doing. <laughs> right? It's not creating new economic value. It's not going beyond what is required. And and so, you know, there's nothing wrong with the term customer experience itself as Steve Jobs used it. You know, I think that's good. But one of the one of the things I think would help is actually to, to make it plural, <laughs> to start talking about customer experiences rather than just the customer experience, right? Because there, one, there is no the customer. There is no the customer experience. Everybody has a different experience. Uh, experiences happen inside of us, in fact, and our reaction to the events that are staged in front of us. So we think instead about both the individual experiences that a customer has over time, rather than just think about this overarching thing. And if we think about the fact that it is multiple customers and individual customers that are having those experiences, then I think that the you know, the CX movement will be will be much better off. Yeah, it's interesting, really, because you see, I would argue, and in fact, to a certain extent, this is not me arguing it, but let me be a bit radical here, okay? It's not about the experience. This is Daniel Kahneman, by the way, yeah, okay? Yeah. It's not about the experience. It's about the memory of the experience. And what Kahneman talks about for human beings is that we don't choose between experiences. We choose between the memory of those experiences. So it's a bit nuanced, because you clearly have to have the experience to be able to remember it. But I guess the issue of what Kahneman is talking about is that memories can be altered. There's a classic case of just depending upon the words that you use. You know, if they, they did this experiment where they asked the jury, if you use the word in an accident, if you use the word crashed and shattered glass, Mm -hmm. then it becomes more serious in somebody's mind than if it was a bump or a scrape. And that alters the memory of whether there was glass on the floor or, or then there wasn't glass on the floor. But maybe I'm going to one side. Yes, Colin, absolutely. It is about memories, about imprints, it's about clues. But I would say that it's impossible for CX to die. And the reason that it's impossible for CX to die is experiences can't die. We will have experiences continuously. Those memories that we have from experiences are phenomenal. It's the way our mind works. It's what Kahneman talks about. It's an area that has fascinated me since the start of the work. However, I think where the work in experience management is, is quite scary to me. There are three basic categories in experience management that I see on the, the horizon or where we are. The first is break-fix, which is break-fix experience management is about becoming less bad. Nothing wrong with becoming less bad, 
but expectations have to be low in terms of what the result is. The second is improving experience management. And that's really commoditization to me. The real future and what got me into this area to begin with was what I would call breakthrough experience, which Joe refers to as transformation. It's creating distinctive economic value, memories that bring us back to a place again and again. And for me, that was what I found at Disney in the late, or actually early 80s, and began to believe that experiences could be managed to create memories that bring us back again and again on an unconscious basis. So CX and areas of CX have to move up this S-curve, as we've talked about. We need to look at how do we advance the work that we're doing. If you think about this space and the ability for people to stand on the shoulders of giants and see forward. I think it was Sir Isaac Newton that in like 1675 really wrote a letter to a a fellow scientist, and he said, I have seen further because I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. We need to stand on the shoulders of giants of work that's been done in this space. That's what Steve Jobs did in the way he looked at the world. It's what he learned from the genius and the people that challenged conventional thinking to move forward. And I think we need experienced champions rather than CXOs that can move that work within an organization. So we said that we were going to disagree with each other, all right? (laughs) So let me start by sort of disagreeing with some of that, all right? Because I, I wouldn't dispute what you say, okay? But look at 90% of the CX improvements that are happening around the globe at the moment. They're not transformational, yeah? They're mucking about at the edges. They've employed a couple of people who think they know what they're doing. And whilst they're trying to do a good job, they're so low down in the organization and their boss doesn't understand and the CEO doesn't understand And that, for me, is the vast majority of what we're dealing with. If you're in a Disney or you're in a Netflix or you're in a, you know, one of the progressive companies, I absolutely agree with you. But think of the average membership of the CXPA. I would argue that 90% of those people are not dealing in that world because they don't have the support and the level of commitment that the companies to be transformational. That's in the sort of, for me, the coalface of customer experience. And I would add, you know, Lou Lou talked about we need experienced champions, which I agree with, actually do have a model for what CXOs need to to do in their organizations to be successful. And champion is is one of the the five roles in there, but they also need to be experienced designers. They need to be the catalyst in the organization. They need to be an orchestrator that orchestrates around. They do need to champion the offerings of the company to customers, but they also need to champion customer and that customer view and understanding what they're about and what they need back into the company. And then lastly is that they need to be a guide to be able to transform the organization in a way that shifts it into from mere services to creating greater economic value through experiences and even through transformations. That's just not the level that CX is at in organizations today that I see. What I believe is so critical is, Joe, I believe that all these other elements, experience, design, et cetera, et cetera, are basics in an organization. But what I think is most critical is the role within an organization to push for change, to push for thinking differently. And if that doesn't start to happen in organizations, and if all CXO people are, is placeholders bringing metrics to people letting the organization drive them versus leading an organization, we're in deep trouble in terms of reaching that third level of where an organization needs to be. So I think that it's the role of CX people today as we approach CX day is to say, am I in a break-fix organization 
Am I an improving organization? Am I in a breakthrough organization? And how do I help that organization, the CEO, leadership, how do I equip myself to begin to move toward creating transformational economic value? I've been at this for such a long time. It frustrates me that at the outset of all this work, the three of us saw the potential in this space and the gap in terms of getting there versus doing what we've always done and calling it CX is frustrating as hell because we know what the results and rewards are. Let me try and pick up something that Lou's just talked about there, which which I think is one of the biggest failures and one of the biggest reasons that I think CX is on the decline. And that is the lack of identification of value. Joe would call it economic value, okay? Too many organizations, and when I talk to CX professionals, when I turn around and say, well, what's the key metrics? Can you articulate what the the value is that you're going to, that you've moved? So if your net promoter score is increased by one, then what's the revenue impact that you're going to get for that? And I know it's difficult, let me say. And that for me is the real business imperative that is causing the problem today, okay? It's the lack of understanding. It's the lack of appreciation and be able to prove that this investment in customer experience is actually paying dividends in the long term. And I think that's one of the the biggest mistakes that CX professionals make. Joe? I want to get to uh, Chris uh, Eklund's question. There are some good questions and thoughts in in the comments. But Lou, I want to ask you, though, is like, okay, so how does CX, if you're in that break fix, or you, you know, you got this progression of three levels, how does it, in fact, move the organization, organization up? I think there are ways to be able to do that, but I know you've thought about that. So I like to ask that. And I think then it leads into uh, Chris's issue about companies that have transformed. I can, I can just give a number of examples. And I think, I think most examples, in fact, are of companies that have transformed. I'll address that after, after uh, Lou, you can answer the question. Yeah, I think that what is fascinating to me in terms of moving from break fix is there's a lot of money in break fix. I mean, we've seen... <laughs> financial transactions in this space and break fix that are beyond anything. And it really came out of an earlier era of customer satisfaction. So as we look at the future, how do you get someone to transformational looking at things differently? I think that's the primary challenge that CX officers face is becoming leaders in an organization rather than reporters. How do you educate an organization? I have found over and over, and I've dedicated over 30 years to how do you create memorable, distinctive experiences. And once you begin to discover the power of embedding experience clues, those things that begin to cause looking at the business differently, realizing that it isn't the product that you sell, it's the total experience that you deliver emotional, rational, and unconsciously, and how you create that. Once an organization begins to discover that and play with that, it unleashes dramatic power that I've seen in organizations over the years. Not every organization can make that leap without leadership. How do CX professionals influence leadership versus report to leadership? Let me try and build on that because this may open up another avenue for uh, a bit of further discussion and then maybe we can get to some questions. As you've heard, my view is that customer experience as a general industry is on the decline, okay? But that doesn't mean to say that it's dying. I mentioned this at the beginning. So for me, it's not dying, it's being absorbed, And what I mean by that is this. If I go back in my over my business life, there's been lots of waves of change. Total quality management, business process reengineering, CRM, a wave of change going into business. And customer experience is is one of those. And it's actually 
lasted a lot longer than I had anticipated. So I think what happens is a wave of change starts here and it sort of gradually incrementally increases the capacity or the capability within an organization. So so I would say that what's actually happening is that customer experience is being absorbed into an organization, okay? And what I'm starting to see that is in these pandemic days, let me use a word that gets used, as being used a lot. There's a new variant coming out, okay? <laughs> and the new variant that's coming out is what I would call customer science, okay? Uh, and I did a podcast on this. Uh, anybody wants to listen, it's on the uh, Intuitive Customer Podcast. And customer science is the combination for me, and this is not just me, by the way, just Google it. Customer science is the combination of technology and specifically AI. It's data sources, so things like the cloud and Google Cloud and lots of data coming in from all over the all over the place. But the key difference is the behavioral science aspects of things. Okay. Now I don't have enough time to go into this today. But the combination of those things, if you look, think of a Venn diagram, now in the middle of it, what we're therefore saying is that AI will be able to predict what the customer is going to do next. And they will be able to predict what the customer is going to do next, not what they say they're going to do next. Okay, And that's a really, really, really important difference. So we know that there is a big difference between what customers say and what customers do. When Disney asks a guest what they want to eat at a theme park, Disney know people say they'd like to have a salad. When people go to Disney, they eat hot dogs and hamburgers. So the point I'm trying to make is that I think that customer experience is being absorbed, right, rather than dying. And there's a new variant, which is like an offshoot of this, which is this customer science bit. And I would argue there's a continuation of Joe's more sort of experiential, absorbed, immersed is probably the better word, stuff that is still climbing. What are your thoughts on that, Joe, Lou? Uh, Joe, is Chris Eklund had asked, and Joe had asked, this question of where is there a company that actually wasn't someone like Elon Musk? I just was in San Francisco. We rented a Tesla X, and the car dances. No one knew that I wanted the damn car to dance. But it's the most memorable thing. I kept pulling into parking lots and having the car dance. Music, lights flashing. The science of creating these distinctive things that we don't expect, that we didn't even know we desired, reside in our unconscious. It's the area that we've worked in for since I started in this world thanks to people like Jerry Zaltman at the Harvard Business School. So when you look at an organization that wasn't primarily led by an Elon Musk, is progressive auto insurance. And Joe, you and I have talked about that often, which was that when we created the instant response vehicles that showed up at the scene of an accident to handle a claim, that's thinking about transformational transforming the business. 20 years from now, every insurance company may be doing something like that. When you take Digimanity, what I call Digimanity, which is taking the AI tools and combining them with human elements, the future is incredible if we stick to not just fixing broken. Progressive is a great example of that. Actually, you can go back to Apple. Apple was not a great experience company. They had, they had great user experience, but in the first instantiation of Steve Jobs, right, they had huge failures because they were technology-led, the Lisa computer being the, the most of those, or being the primary example of that. But when he came back is when he, he had that view, right, 1994, about let's start from the customer experience, work backwards, and figure out the technology that's going to create that great experience. And so we think of them as this exemplar and they are and like, there's only one Apple in the world. Like there's only one Tesla. You can't, you know, you can't be another Apple. But in fact, it was not that way from the beginning. Starbucks was not that way from the beginning. It was a manufacturer of coffee. 
It wasn't until Howard Schultz went to Italy and was inspired by the coffee culture, just like we today can be inspired by experiences that we encounter and bring them back into our company and say, hey, let's do this differently. Let's turn into a place where people can enjoy the drinking. My favorite example now of mass customized experiences in particular is Carnival with its IoT device, the Ocean Medallion, which came about because they recognized that there was an arm race in the cruise industry where you had to come out with billion dollar ships that were floating Las Vegas's basically and did great experiences, but it made all the rest of your old facilities look antiquated and, and had poor experiences. They said, well, how do we elevate the experience for everybody? So they innovated this system where they got to know each individual going far beyond what the Magic Band does at Disney, again, transforming the, the company. We were talking before we got on about how I used to go up to Keystone, Colorado all the time with a company called Sterizen that developed an experience design place. And it specifically brought clients up to transform them into premier experience stages uh, with a particular focus on healthcare industry and hospitals. And I can give you, uh, you know, dozens of examples that, of hospitals that transformed from being very poor experiences, we'll put it that way, to being amazing experiences because they took this view of how it matters. And in the healthcare industry, it's sort of easy to do that because it's easy to show that research shows that the better the patient experience, the better the outcome, right? And it's really, it's a transformation industry. It's one that is based off of outcomes. So there are examples of that all along. Now, whether customer science, as you call it, Colin, helps us get there or not, I'm not sure. But I, I also subscribe to the general view that if you've got to call something a science, it's not a science. It's only things that you don't have to call sciences that are really sciences. But given that, it may be one of those things that allows us to to have the data that moves in the direction of being able to transform the business to providing not just great experiences, but memorable, engaging, remarkable uh, experiences for customers. Everyone has business problems. Everyone would like them solved. And what better way than asking two experts to weigh in on what to do? This is the essence of a new spot we have in the show called I'm in a Pickle. All we want you to do is to email us with your problems and Ryan and I will give you our best advice of what to do to resolve them. Hey Ryan, I'm really glad we're doing this, mate, because I've had this ingrained toenail for some time and I'm not certain what to do. Colin, let me stop you. We've discussed before no toenail discussions on the podcast. <laughs> not your personal problems, business problems. It could be... How do you get your senior management to be more engaged in customer experience? How can you reduce the level of churn you have with customers? Or something specific, like how you should set the pricing for a service. And if you want to be anonymous, that's absolutely fine. We will simply look at all the problems and come up with the answers. So just email us at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com and outline the problem. And Brian, are you sure we can't sort out my ingrown toenail? Uh, well, Colin, you know I do have a machete collection, so <laughs> maybe we can. So why do we think, therefore, that if you look at, uh, I think this was about a year ago, both Numwood and Forrester basically said that customer experiences, and this was actually, it was pre-pandemic, to be honest with you, so Numwood and Forrester both came out with research saying that customer experience was stagnating. So despite all of the investment that had been put in, despite all of the attention that had been paid on it, numbers weren't going up across the board. Yep. Because it's stuck in the things in the, those two bottom levels that Lou's talking about. And it really does, because it doesn't make transformative change because it doesn't yield memorable, engaging, remarkable experiences because yeah. it is focused on on break fix. And I would agree with that. And I agree with Lou's analysis that it is break fix. Okay. And I think that's a really good way of describing it. But I also think going back to what I said before, is there's too much attention being paid to this silver bullet mentality. Okay. Yeah. Which is I'm going to fix this one thing and the world's going to be different. No, it's bloody not. Right. Right. It's just not going to happen that way. When we look at 
the opportunities that exist in terms of moving an organization up that scale. I think it's about becoming and building trust. I mean, NPS was a very simple issue of CEOs driving down in their organization a thought that they trusted. As simple as it may sound, when I first started in this space, I used a simple toilet paper triangle in a bathroom as a signal or a clue. And people began to trust that our unconscious thought processes clues and signals and embeds them in an unconscious way on how we view experiences. When we start creating examples of how we think, how we put together these experiences, there is unfortunately no science. It's evolving. I think it was when we wrote the first article, Joe, Steve, and I in this space, John Dayton at the Harvard Business School said this area in marketing was very much like the invention of the steam engine, that the science followed the invention of the steam engine versus preceding it. Maybe we should get to some questions, guys, okay? I've just been reading some of the comments, and Bill Stetikoff says, we need to stop talking in terms of MPS, customer SAT, etc. The primary goal of any CX leader should be to increase revenues, reduce costs, and improve culture. Totally agree. And CX <laughs> is a toolkit to get. It's like lean, agile. I mean, to be honest with you, it's a no-brainer. I mean, right. why in the bloody hell would you invest in customer experience if it wasn't to give you an end result, which is improvement of profitability or business? Exactly. It's a no-brainer. Okay, so we all, we all agree <laughs> with that one. Bill knows this stuff. <laughs> well done, Bill. Any other questions, guys, that spring out that you want to want to address? Yeah, there there is one... Uh, was one directed at you, Colin, uh, from Bill. He says, how do you square a, a compound annual growth rate of nearly 15, 20% on CXM technology if it's on the decline? And I'm I, not yeah. sure about that number, but it's an interesting question about how people are spending so much on this technology. I agree. I wish I had their marketing budgets, okay? <laughs> but I go back to the bell curve, Okay. I'm not saying, so if you've got this bell curve of where customer experience is, et cetera, I think we're sort of coming down. I think what it's morphing into, and if I remember back to my the days of CRM, do you remember the days of CRM, guys? CRM at the beginning wasn't about the technology. It turned into a debate about yes. the technology. Yes. Okay. I think what you're starting to see now, and it's been quite interesting, that, you know, there's a consolidation in the voice of the customer marketplace. And most of this stuff that I'm referring to in terms of software, I don't know if Bill's referring to this, is the, the voice of the customer companies. And there's a big consolidation in those groups now. You know, Qualtrex seems to be taking over everything, basically. <laughs> They've recently acquired or whatever, Clarabridge. I think there's a consolidation. So, and I guess my final point that I would make is, and this is what I mean about there's a difference between the word dying and absorbing. So do I think that it is right that those companies carry on spending the money on those voice of the customer systems? Yes, I do, because they are good and they provide good information. OK, it's not to say that we're suddenly going to because it's dying, we're going to have to reject all those things. No, it's not. It's an improvement. It's a continual improvement. And every wave of change just layers on those things. So that's how I that's how I would justify it. Any other questions, guys, that we've got here? What's Don's written here? CX can be tied to moral development. A seemingly prerequisite for delivering exceptional customer service is a moral development focused on principles rather than mire of rules and organization schematics. As long as people are in the low and order value of obeying rules, organizations will have followers, forming employees of a notion principally developed to care for care. Lou? So the moral obligation, you know, I think that every company has a moral obligation to create value. And I think it was Deming that said that the purpose of a business is to create value. The reward is profit. And so often we get that twisted around. And I think that it's so critical for organizations to begin to look at 
the total impact on society, on people's lives and bettering people's lives. Unless we look at that and all we're driven by is profit, greed sets in. I've watched companies that were greedy cut their way out of cost to being out of existence because you begin to cut from the fat to the bone. And that's the danger, that unless we look at creating that extraordinary value, we could face extinction. Look at great brands like Polaroid. Look at at Kodak. There are many organizations that have vanished because they lose sight of a moral obligation to create value for society, for its employees. And that's why it's all about human experience. If we lose creating value in personal relationships, in partnerships, we run the risk of extinction. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that very, very much. The way I usually phrase it is that money should never be the purpose of any organization. It's the measure of how well you fulfill your purpose. And I think that's very important to have that purpose focused on value. And it gets at actually a, a couple of things here. Sean Belding says, has anyone seen an organization that excels at CX that doesn't have a CEO who champions it? And then very related, right above it, Jerry Stuford says, uh, unlike you three, most CX professionals are not experienced in working with CEOs let alone influence them, having counsel to share. So one of the things is, Sean, you're right. Most organizations, maybe zero organizations, excel without the CEO champion it. But most organizations start to excel without the ever CEO ever knowing about it. And the question is, how then do you influence them to understand what's going on and be able to pick out and say, yeah, hey, this is important. This is something that we, that we need to do. I think that was the case that Lou was talking earlier about uh, Progressive many years ago, where it started off on the side and then was so obviously good at what it was doing in terms of getting people to really value the interactions they had with the insurance company, the benefits that came with that. Then the CEO becomes aware of and say, hey, we need to center our organization around that. And so one of the key things is both to get the CEO to understand what are the successes in the organization and why they can help transform the organization, right? And that's from the bottom up. But also at a top level, too, one of the things I always try and do is get CEOs and, and executive management to understand it themselves as individuals, to get them to understand the experiences they have, to see that where they want these same level experiences that your customers want. And, and if they can understand that as a level of them as a customer, then they can then get that empathy and extend it to their own customers. Lou. Joe, that is so true. When I look at Capital One and the work with Rich Fairbanks, the CEO, the original mandate for the work was to be less bad. He did not want to get in a taxi and be told how horrible they were. And once you begin to discover the power of experience management, you now have Capital One cafes. They begin to embrace, once you begin to get that traction, it's infective. It just really grows and transforms the mindset of an organization. Let me try and uh, jump in as well then with uh, with some helpful or with some advice for Jerry. But before I do that, Bill rightly so raised the comment that said that customer science has been around for 10 years. Bill, I would argue, mate, I would use the quote, there is nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. <laughs> I can't remember who said that, yeah, but somebody did. Far more clever than I am. Anyway. Let's get back to Jerry. Let me tell you a brief story. We were doing a pitch. So Jerry's question, just to remind you, was around, well, we talked to CEOs. We got the experience. Most CX professionals don't. Then, you know, what do you do? We were doing a pitch, yeah, doing a pitch to a German insurance company. And we were doing this pitch to a German insurance company. This is way back in the day. This German insurance company, we were basically pitching the fact that we believe that customer experience was built around emotions, and therefore you need to identify which emotions drive value, and therefore you need to get the numbers. This team that we were pitching to, one of the guys stood up and said to me, he said, Colin, this is all great stuff, and I understand this, but he said, prove to me that this works. Prove to me that if I evoke an emotion in a customer, it will have a payoff, basically. 
And at that stage, we couldn't do it. This was back in 2005. That kicked off two years worth of work where we, with London Business School, identified the 20 emotions that drive value. And therefore, going into what Lou was talking about in terms of the subconscious things is looking at those and being able to identify the subconscious things that drive value. Why am I telling you this? The key for me is you got to talk their language. Their language is primarily numbers. They are there to get a profit. They are there to improve shareholder value. That's their job. You've got to show them that what you are going to do is going to provide a return. And ideally, you need to prove that through the numbers that either you have produced, building on what Joe was saying, look at all the things that we've done and look at the results that we've got. And I see too many CX professionals not doing that. Okay, or through research going, look, we've done this research and this shows us there's an opportunity there and here's the statistics that would be able to prove it, blah, 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 blah. And if I go back on my career, it's nerve wracking going in and seeing the CEO for the first time. The key is you've got to be prepared. You've got to know your stuff. You've got to understand what he or she is going to ask you about. And that, for me, I think is one of the keys of talking to a CEO. I'll mention that uh, Bill Stakos got it right. It was Victor Hugo that uh, has that quote, Colin, about nothing is more powerful than ideas. Time has come. Rosaria brings up uh, happiness and how that all uh, relates to this and so forth. And research shows that, that buying experiences makes us happier than buying things and that. But I would also say that happiness is not the end all be all. You know, ha- happiness is momentary. It is gen, tends to be ephemeral. Experiences can be very ephemeral as well, you know, not lasting. And one of the things I see going on, actually probably accelerated by the pandemic, as a, at least in the developed world, we realize, okay, we don't need more stuff. What we're missing is, even if delivered contactlessly, what we're missing is the meaningful experiences that we have with our loved ones, with our, our family, our, our colleagues, and so forth. And, and so I think there is a shift going on from the merely memorable experiences and happiness tends to fall in there to the highly meaningful experiences. And I think we need to aim our talents and you know, more in that direction. It's a shift. It's not a total you know, movement and so forth, but it is a shift that is going on that's going to become more and more important as, uh, as the years go by, I believe, which gets also into those more transformative experiences that do provide more meaning. Let me just jump in here and build on that quickly, and then we'll pass over to Lou for his thoughts. So it's interesting. When we did this research back in 2005, we found that there were 20 emotions that drive and destroy value. The top emotion that drove most value was happiness. However, what we also discovered was you can't just make a customer happy (laughs) from being unhappy. You actually, it's like a sort of hierarchy of emotions, okay? I first of all, I need to trust you. You know, and this goes back to lose break fix thing. Okay, I need to trust you. And then I need to feel that you cared for me and valued. And these are emotions that come out of it. One of the team at Beyond Philosophy, a guy called Zecho Dobrev, is is just in the process of writing a book called The Big Miss, which is going to be coming out next year, because he spent the pandemic looking at our database, okay, to find out which emotions drive most value and which are the subconscious areas that drive value, et cetera. So a brief plug for that when it comes out for next year. The key is you don't just get to happiness. And I'll agree with Joe. It's not necessarily the goal. The goal may be that customers want to feel valued and that drives the most ROI. And that's the, again, I'm sorry to bang on about it, but that's the important thing. It's not happiness. It's actually valued or cared for. And it could be a lower order loop. And Colin, is this research on your website? Because we got a question about the, how they get that, that research. Um, we'll get a link to. Somebody already put it in, it looks like. Oh, right. There you go. <laughs> All right. Lou, any final thoughts? I think that what is so exciting about this space and the evolution of understanding experiences in general is this extraordinary opportunity to augment the voice of the customer with the mind of the customer. And when I say the customer, it's anybody. It's in any experience. 
value is in the mind of the perceiver versus the creator. If we can walk through the maze of the customer's mind, and this is where the work that I've done with Jerry Zaltman over the last 30 years that we're featuring in podcasts is understanding that we're walking through the maze of the customer's mind, trying to understand how they think versus what they think is the most critical aspect of value creation in this space. And even discovering what they don't even know about themselves. I never needed a dancing car, but it was the biggest thrill I've had. I've told my wife, it imprinted my memory in such a way that I noticed every Tesla on the road in San Francisco. It's why they sold almost a quarter of a million Teslas in the last quarter. Going to a charging station is a sense of community. It is crazy. Sitting for an hour and five minutes to recharge a car, everybody's on iPads, everybody's doing work, who's shopping, but you come back and you kind of look at each other like, this was cool. This idea of community, these elements that are basic to human nature are so critical for us to understand. And that is what has been the biggest turn on in my work and in the work that we're all doing, that Colin, Joe, the people that are trying to push us to moving beyond break-fix, we need to come together rather than moving in separate directions. We need to begin momentum and velocity in understanding how customers think versus what they think and their opinions. So I hope that was useful. I hope that gives you different views. The important thing for me is that you start to form your own judgment. I don't believe that I'm right in everything that I say. I think the important thing about getting different views from different people is you can start to form your own judgment. A couple of uh, important links that we're going to put in the show notes. Joe referred to the Steve Jobs video, which I believe is is really excellent and well worth a listen. Uh, so we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Also, uh, one of the things that caused a lot of interest on the day was I referenced the 20 emotions that drive and destroy value. And I've again, I've put a link to that in the show notes. Everybody was requesting a, a link. So I've put that in the show notes as well. So I hope that's been of use today. The bad news is Ryan's back next week. So tune in and we'll do our best with him. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.